this week. So I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's only one part of our service, so send us an email to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, or better yet, come and see us in person. If you have your Bible, let's look in three places. First of all, to Proverbs chapter 12, and then to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and finally to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you that we can trust it, and I ask that you would speak to us today through it in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your word, uh, that your spirit would rest upon me as I bring your word to your people today, to the glory and honor of Jesus. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Proverbs chapter 12, Solomon writes, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. And then to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, just two verses, 13 and 14. Paul's writing here toward the end of this letter, and he says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And then finally, we go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Just one verse, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, uh, I don't know if you have this phrase uh, where you were raised, but in the States, we had this phrase that said, you can't win for losing. You can't win for losing, which meant that there's no way to win that even if you win, you lose. You can't win for losing. And I was thinking about this phrase when I was thinking about men, because right now, you know, I kind of feel like in our society, in many places in the world, we men, we can't win for losing. No matter how, we, how hard we try, sometimes it just seems like everything is stacked against us. I don't know, maybe you don't feel that way, guys, uh, but sometimes I feel that way. In fact, you know, when I, when I, I mentioned first that I was going to do a sermon about men, the first question I was asked was, well, are you going to do one about women, too? <laughs> uh, like, no, just about men, you know, and the person almost seemed hurt, you know, a little bit. And, you know, right now in our society, I feel like we men, we're, we're torn between two things, or caught, not torn, we're caught between two things, either toxic masculinity or emasculated masculinity. Uh, and emasculated, if you don't know what that word means, look it up. It means about, it's about things being cut off. 
and I'll leave that to your imagination, what that's talking about. And so either, you know, it's like, well, you're a toxic man, you know, and toxic masculinity, uh, for most people, it's about dominance or violence or control. You know, it's something really wrong, but it's like if you have a strong opinion, well, that's just toxic masculinity or you're mansplaining, or something like that. You know, you're attacked on that way. Or on the other hand, you have this emasculated masculinity where we're almost expected to be, to show weakness and indecision, uh, you know, confusion, be intimidated. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost the thought that men should be like women or that women should be like men. And neither toxic masculinity or emasculated masculinity is healthy, and both are really, really bad for us men. And it, both of these show that our cultures really have gotten masculinity wrong, what it means to be a man. Our culture doesn't understand it. Our culture wrestles with it. Uh, but the problem is, you know, we look sometimes at, you know, feminism and the feminism coming out of the 60s, and, and many times women have thought, well, that's the answer to this toxic masculinity or this emasculated masculinity. But as research has been showing here recently, uh, that whole radical feminism where women are just set free to do anything has not been good for women. Women are more likely to be raped today than they were 60 years ago. They're more likely to be abused today than they were 60 years ago. It's almost like with the rise of this radical feminism, there's also been a rise of toxic masculinity where men and women have started kind of competing with one another. That's not been healthy. It's not been good. And our society doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't know how to deal with men. And so it's really time for us as Christians, particularly as Christian men, to stop allowing our culture and those manipulating our culture to determine our manhood and our understanding of men and women. And it's time for us to go back to the scriptures and understand who we are as men, how God has created us as men, so that we can, as Paul said in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, so that we can act like men. Frankly, what we need is Christian men who are men and who are also Christians and understand what that means and show an example to our culture and our society what that's all about. And frankly, we have to say, if you look back through recent history, recent centuries, we've not always done a good job with that. A lot of the versions of manhood that have been put forward by people claiming to be Christians have not really reflected the scriptures and what they have to say to us. And so we need to redeem a little bit of of manhood for ourselves as Christians because many times it's been really under, misunderstood. So we need to learn how to act like men, but we need to understand what that is. And so I'm going to suggest some things today. I actually have four things I'm going to suggest. The first thing 
is we must accept and become the man God created us to be using our God-given resources to glorify Jesus Christ. Each of us as men need to accept and become the man that God has created us to be using our God-given resources to glorify Jesus Christ. As Paul said, we got to stand firm in the faith. And to do that, we need to understand that every one of us as men, uh, every one of us is different. We're all different, and that's okay. That is absolutely okay. You know, as men, we are this complex combination of strength and playfulness and wisdom and foolishness. And we know that we, we get all this together. It's part of who we are. It's a craziness. And sometimes that gets warped by sin. Well, it always gets warped by sin. But we're all different. We're all a little bit crazy. We've all been created in a unique way. And we just need to accept that and then embrace our faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's our faith in Jesus Christ that helps us develop the best of who we are and restrain the worst of who we are. Each one of us, if we were left to our own devices, we become very destructive as men. And so we need to restrain that destructiveness, and we need to release the God-given goodness that's there. And it's only faith in Jesus Christ that really enables us to do that. I mean, think about it. Think about manhood in the context of global religions. And I'm not going to look at the worst of religions because if we looked at the worst of Christianity, we'll see really a lot of men behaving badly, many of whom claim to be Christians, but we're not Christians. So, you know, let's just take, let's just take the best. Let's consider founders. I remember, I know of one founder of one religion that shall remain nameless here but one founder of one religion who abandoned his family to seek his own personal enlightenment. Now, to me, that's not manhood. It's kind of running from manhood, isn't it? I know another founder of another religion, again, that should remain nameless, that had a number of wives, and one of which was like nine years old. That's not an example of manhood that we want to follow. But we have a founder, his name is Jesus, who is an example that we want to follow. And I'm going to say more about that in a moment. So as men, as we are being the man that God created us to be and using our God-given resources to bring glory to Jesus Christ, as we're doing that, we have to be self-controlled. We have to learn in the power of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God to restrain our sinfulness and to use the good parts, the righteousness that God's given us for his glory. Now, as, as Paul said in Titus, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfast. Likewise, the younger men to be self-controlled. It's a big issue for us. A man without self-control, Proverbs says, 
is like a city broken into and left without walls. If we don't exercise self-control under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can do that because as Christian men, we've been saved by grace through faith, so God has set us free from the power of sin so that we can actually do this as men, so we can actually live in this way. And so we need to live in obedience to God. God set us free so that we can obey him. And in this whole process of being the man that God wants us to be, we need to love discipline. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So men, don't be stupid. I know a lot of people don't like that word, you know, but it's biblical. Don't be stupid. Control yourself. God's given you the ability to do that. And so in doing all this, we need to take Jesus as our example of manhood. And you know what? I kind of hate a lot of those namby-pamby portrayals of Jesus that show him as, as kind of, you know, some weak person. Jesus is no weakling. I mean, his dad, his earthly dad was a carpenter. He learned the skills of the trade. He was a tradesman. This guy, he hung out with fishermen. Now, I've hung out with some fishermen, and I know that they're, they can be a little rough sometimes. He hung out with fishermen. He hung out with zealots. I mean, these guys were fighters. He hung out with Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was maybe the weakest of the bunch. You know, he was the only guy that had a, a desk job of the guys that Jesus hung out with. And then Jesus lived his life like this and hung on a cross. I don't know about you, but hanging on the cross, I think, is kind of painful. And it's not something that's easy to do. And it's not something that I'm volunteering for anytime soon, but Jesus did. Jesus is tough, yet, look at his life. He showed tenderness, kindness, love, and respect to all, especially women. And if you look at the life of Jesus, women were comfortable around him, especially women that had a past. And you know what I'm talking about. They were comfortable around him because they knew instinctively that Jesus was not going to use them. That Jesus was not out after his pleasure and to use them, abuse them, and cast them away, but to see them as women who are valuable and precious before God. And this Jesus had an unhindered relationship with God. He lived boldly in the presence of God his entire life. Now, that is my example of manhood. And as we become the men that God has created us to be, we always need to look at Jesus. Not the weak portrayals of Jesus that are often there in our culture. You know why a lot of people like to keep Jesus weak? Because if he's weak, we can control him. If he's weak, we can dictate what we pick and what we don't pick from his life. If he's strong, and if he shows us what real men really are, it's a completely different thing for us as men. 
So we need to be the men that God has created us to be using our God-given resources to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Then there's a second thing. If we want to act like men, according to Paul, there's a second thing. We need to protect and provide. Protect and provide. Or you might say protect and serve as Christian men. Protect and provide. You know, unless our instincts have been distorted by sin or sinful culture, I think every one of us as, as men are designed with an instinct to protect and provide. To protect the weak and provide for people around us. I have never met a man who didn't have that instinct. Now, I've met a lot of men who didn't do it right. You know, we all make mistakes, right? But every one of us, God's designed us to protect others and provide for others, particularly the people that are closest to us, the family members that are closest to us. And this means that we need to protect and provide, as Christian men, we need to protect and provide for the women in our lives. And I'm sorry if that sounds sexist. It's not. That's not downgrading to women to say that. And it's not downgrading. What, what happens if, okay, what, what if the, the woman is the one that has the job in the house and the man is staying home? Well, the man could still protect and provide. It doesn't mean you're the primary breadwinner. It doesn't mean that you've got the big job and your wife's got the small job. It's not that at all. And that's a distortion that sometimes has come in to our society. We need to protect and provide for the women in our lives, our wives, our children, our sisters. We need to protect and provide for the children in our lives, and not only our own children. You remember last week, I volunteered to be on God's millstone hurling team because I'm and want to protect and provide for all children, not just the children that are close to me. We need to protect and provide for the people who work for you, if you're a boss. Protect and provide for the people for whom you work. Protect and provide for your church. And we do that by living in obedience to God, because if we obey God, he will lead us to fulfill that instinct that we all have rather naturally and in a holy way. We do that by being watchful, as Paul said, watching over, keeping an eye out, and we do that by letting all that we do be done in love, according to Paul. But as men, as Christian men, we need to allow us, we need to move forward in fulfilling that instinct to protect and provide under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in obedience to God according to his word. And we need to understand, men, that this is profoundly dangerous. It's profoundly dangerous because you are vulnerable toward those you are serving when you protect and provide. When you protect and provide, that means that people can hurt you and can hurt you quite deeply because you can't protect and provide for others if you're selfishly trying to protect and provide for yourself. And we just need to embrace that risk 
And understand sometimes it's going to hurt. It's going to be unpleasant. But that's how we were designed. And we can walk into this and seek to fulfill this. But there's a third thing. If we want to act like men, a third thing we can do. We need to discern and fulfill our mission as a Christian man. Discern and fulfill our mission. You know, as men, we need a mission. We need a purpose. We need a focus in our lives. And we need to understand what that is. We need to seek God for that mission. And the mission will be something for us that goes beyond just caring for our families. Our mission goes beyond protecting and providing, although sometimes it might include that, but it's more than that. It's a, a real weakness for a lot of Christian teaching in the last 20 years. A lot of it's focused on men be men, take care of your family. And that's good. That's good for protect and provide. But unless we understand that we were designed to accomplish things, we were designed to do stuff. We weren't designed just to, to hang out at home protecting and providing. We got to go out there if we're going to provide. You know, we think of ourselves sometimes as the hunter-gatherers or you know, kinds of, those kinds of things. So we need to seek God to discern what our mission is. What is our assignment? And your assignment is going to be different than mine. Each one of us will have a different assignment, but God has given us all our assignments for the good of the church, for the good of our families, and for the good of our society. You know, for you, your, your mission might be to start a business and build up that business. Your mission might be working in a particular job or a particular occupation. Your mission might be using the job that God's given you as a platform to share Jesus with other people. Your mission might be building a strong business and helping your business become strong and righteous in its exercise. Your mission might be preaching the gospel. There's a whole variety of missions that God gives us as men. The key thing is to say, God, what is my mission? Help me to understand it. And part of that understanding is know, knowing how you were designed by God. And not being ashamed if your mission isn't the same as somebody else's. Or not being ashamed if you think somebody else's mission is so much bigger than yours and so much better than yours. You know, I've walked with the Lord a long time now, long enough to learn that seemingly small things can have great consequences for good and seemingly big things can be utterly worthless in the kingdom. And that's why you have to seek God for this. You have to discern this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and then obey God in fulfilling that mission. God will give you the mission. He'll also tell you how to do it. And you got to obey God in it, even if you don't complete it. As Paul said, be strong. Be strong. You know, as men, we all, in addition to that instinct to protect and preserve, most of us have a desire to compete and conquer too. 
And yes, that's been used in wrong ways throughout history. We have lots of examples for that. But that's also why we need that mission. I'm not saying that women don't have a mission. Understand, I'm not comparing men and women here. I'm just saying what we need is men. What we need is men. And this is one of the reasons why sports is so popular for us. Why do we love sports? It is a cross-cultural phenomenon, the love for sports. It's because we as men, we like to compete. We like to conquer things. You know, thankfully, we can restrain ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit so we don't compete and conquer by killing people. Or we don't compete and conquer by seeing who can impregnate more, the most women. We restrain that, but that's part of us. And so we need to begin by conquering ourselves and our own sinfulness. That's where that starts, but that's part of our mission. Ultimately, we want to be able to say with Paul at the end of our lives, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Fight, race, faith. That's competition. And we're primarily competing against ourselves here. But that's the thing. We need to do that. So that's the third thing. The third thing there. Discern and fulfill your mission as a Christian man. And number four. Treat women well as a Christian man. Treat women well. And this is where the rubber really meets the road, as we say. I believe that how we treat women is the hallmark of our spirituality. In other words, I can tell a Christian man simply by how he talks about women, particularly the women in his life, how he treats women, how he looks at women, I can see it. I can see it. I remember one time being so aghast. I was having a coffee with, with an elder and a long, long time ago. And uh, we were at a cafe. And I remember when the attractive waitress came along and he kind of looked her up and down. A married man. And it just, it felt dirty, frankly. What we do, how we treat women... It's the hallmark of our spirituality. How you treat women, especially those in your lives, that includes your wife, uh, maybe the person you're dating, a prospective wife, your daughters, your mothers, your sisters, uh, including your church sisters, and your church, because the church biblically is portrayed as a female, the mother, a bride, bride of Christ. How you treat women affects your spirituality. It affects your spiritual effectiveness, your spiritual influence, and your relationship with God. And Peter's very clear with that. He talks about you treat your women properly so you don't hinder your prayers. And there's a lot of times that we men have hindered our faith in the Lord, we've hindered 
the fulfillment of our mission. We've hindered our ability to protect and to serve. We've hindered our ability to become the man of God that God has wanted us to be because of how we've treated women. And how you treat women, men, will determine the outcomes of your life. It will determine the outcome of your life. And right now, and I won't mention their names, although I could, I have three examples of men in my mind who lived their lives as Christian men who had Christian ministries. The ministries seemed to bless a lot of people, and all three of them mistreated women and all three of their whole life legacies have been destroyed, not just hindered, but completely destroyed by how they treated women. It's a big, big issue for us. Even how we treat the church, as I said, it's female, and Jesus cares since it's his bride, he cares about how we treat her. And how you treat women includes your attitudes and your actions about them and toward them. So hopefully I'm clear on this because it's so important and it's especially important right now in our society. So, how do we treat women according to what the scripture says? Well, Peter tells us, you know, as we're treating women in a Christian way, we need to live with them in an understanding way. Now, Peter's talking about his wife here, uh, about wives here, but I think this applies to how we deal with all women as men, as Christian men. We need to be with them, live with them in an understanding way. Now, that means that we need to know that there are differences between men and women. There are, despite what a lot of people want to say. That does not mean that men are better than women. That does not mean that women are better than men. I mean, the society wants us to play this stupid game, and we need to stop playing it. We just need to stop playing it. There's not a value judgment here to say that we're different, that we think in different ways. We relate in different ways. Women need different things than men do in terms of friendships and relationships. And we need to learn what that is because, frankly, it comes more instinctively to women than it does to us as men. That's why we've got to learn it. You know, we oftentimes don't get it. I, I've learned a lot by being with my wife. There's a lot of things I didn't have a clue about before I got married. And I'm thankful I've learned those things now. You know? So it's important there. But this also means, to live with them in an understanding way, also means that we don't use women as sexual playthings. And we need to swear off pornography because these things are destructive. They're not neutral. They are destructive. And that also means that there's a whole lot of normal films that are out that we need to swear off as well because a lot of the films that are coming out today are much more pornographic. 
So we've got to be careful, men, because if we don't, we won't be able to live with women in an understanding way. And then Peter says a second thing here about how we treat women, and, uh, and women love this, you know. He says, show honor to women as the weaker vessel. <laughs> you know, it, women are like, hey, preach more on that. No, they're not. You know, that, that sounds offensive today, right? Show honor to women as a weaker vessel. Because we all know, the women are not weaker in terms of their intelligence. They're not weaker in terms of their morality. They're not weaker in terms of their effectiveness. They're not weaker in terms of their success. They're not weaker in terms of their endurance. I mean, I don't know any men that can give birth to children. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not weaker in any of those ways. But biologically, there is a difference in terms of strength. It's a, a difference that goes across cultures, across the world, biologically. And when Peter says to show honor to them as the weaker vessel, he is not passing judgment on women. What he's saying is that women are precious, women are valuable, and we need to show in the way that we honor women how precious and valuable they actually are. I've seen how men treat their brand new automobiles. You know, especially the little BMWs. I'm not talking about anybody here, obviously. You know, I've, I've seen the respect that they show. Why do they do this? Not because the car is weak, but because the car is valuable to them. In the same way, we show honor to women, not because they're weak, but because they're valuable because they're precious, and they need to know how precious and valuable they actually are. And this means that, you know, we need to learn again how to practice chivalry. Now, I know a lot of women don't like it when men open, open the door for them. And, and they get caught up in that because they're like, well, you know, you're treating me like I'm weak and I can't do it myself. And you, you, sometimes you have to say, no, that's not the purpose of it. It's a way to show honor to you. We need to learn how to be chivalrous, to show gentleness, respect, kindness, not pressuring women into doing something they don't want to do, being men who guard their honor and their integrity. That's what chivalry is all about. That's how we can show honor to them. And this does not mean tolerating mistreatment or abuse by women. You know, sometimes we talk about this and then, and then men think, well, then I need to let women walk all over me. And you don't. I mean, I remember one of my earliest memories of school, is grade school, I know, on the playground, getting into a fight with a woman. Uh, I don't know what I did to make the young gal angry with me, I mean, it's a pattern in my life to make women angry with me. I don't know what, you know, it just kind, kind of comes naturally, I guess. And, uh, and so she, she was upset. She started to fight. I don't know why. She started to fight and started to punch me, you know. And, and it's like, oh, I can't hit her. You know, so I just put up my arms like this and kind of deflected the punch. I still got in trouble, you know. The teacher was like, you know, you're going to be punished for fighting. I said, I wasn't fighting. I was, and he's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. I'm like, you want to let her hit me in the face? No. I mean, it's not about tolerating abuse or things like that. We don't. 
but it means that we show love and honor to women in appropriate ways based on our relationship. We show honor to women as the weaker vessel and we respect them as heirs with us in the grace of life. They are heirs alongside of us. Men don't get into heaven first and women don't get into heaven first. They are heirs alongside of us. We need to see women as they really are before God. And they're certainly not weak before God. They're certainly strong in the Lord. And I've known many mighty women of God. You know, a long time I used to think that I wanted sons if I had kids. But as I went on, I realized I wanted daughters. Because I love to see young women rise up in strength and power in the Lord Jesus. And just knock those demons down. I mean, it's cool. I love it. I love it when they flourish and when they grow. Uh, so we need to see them as they really are. We need to serve together with women in ministry. We serve side by side. They're not ab above us and they're not below us as men. We're together in this. We have to respect their, intelligent, their intelligence and their insights as equal to our own. We're not smarter than they are nor are they smarter than we are. And we need to welcome their insights and their wisdom. This is what it means to respect them as heirs with us in the grace of life. And you know, if you're listening to this and you realize I've wronged some women in my life. There's some women I've mistreated. I haven't treated properly. I've spoken to them you need to repent to God and you need to reconcile to go to that person, that woman, in gentleness and humility and seek to make it right. And both are required. Again, I know a leader, and again, I won't mention his name, who sinned grievously a number of years ago and finally the sin has been found out. And although the guy repented to the Lord, he never reconciled with the woman. And it's destroyed his life. It's destroyed his life. We must not allow that to happen. Because how we treat women as Christian men is the hallmark of our spirituality. It's the hallmark. It says more than almost anything else. So as men, we need to be the men that God has created us to be. We need to move in obedience to the Lord to protect and serve as God calls us to do that. We need to seek the Lord for the mission that he has so that we can go and fulfill that mission and conquer the gates of hell as men in Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that we are treating women as God wants us to treat them. Because God loves them and cherishes them and values them. And right now in society, we need Christian men to rise up and be men. We need to abandon our culturally driven stereotypes of both men and women 
and we need to stop trying to justify these stereotypes with the Bible. It means we need to stop making sweeping generalizations about men and women. Oh, oh men, men don't have feelings or, or women don't have understanding and all that. Just get rid of that. There's no place for those generalizations, not, not to mention because they're not true, but they're just not helpful. And we must reject the cultural ideologies, I'd say the cultural pathologies being advocated about human sexuality. And there are assumptions about what is good for men and women, and there are assumptions about what it means to be a real man. If you want to be a real man, we're not looking to the other religious leaders that we know about. We need to look to Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. He is our model for manhood. And as Christian men, it's time for us to reclaim that manhood for ourselves and live it out for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And our families will be better, our churches will be better, and our society will be better if we do. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for making us men and women. Lord, even though this has been a sermon about men, I thank you for the women in our church. I thank you for these mighty women of God who love you, who are so powerful in the Lord and in the strength of his might, who are so strong in Jesus and share Jesus every day and who so patiently put up with us as men. Thank you for them, Lord. But I thank you too for the men, for all of us and all of our diversity. I thank you that you've given each of us a mission. I thank you you've created each one of us in a unique way. I thank you for that instinct inside of us to protect and to serve or protect and provide. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. And help us to become godly, wholesome examples of Christian manhood. Not surrendering to toxic masculinity, nor surrendering to emasculated masculinity, but being men fashioned after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. Now, why we stay in, in a moment of prayer, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit, men, to show you if there are any women that you have not treated in the right way. He's going to show you their names. And you need to repent and you need to seek reconciliation. And be bold, be strong in doing that. So, Father, I do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would show us, if there, as men, if there are any women that we have wronged, any women that we have not treated properly, whether it's our wives, our daughters, the church, women at work, our mothers, whoever 
Lord, give us those names and show us what we've done wrong so that we might repent and give us a pathway for reconciliation, especially if we've wounded another woman so that we might also be an agent of healing in their life. And just pause for a moment and listen for the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the men and the women of this church. I pray now for my brothers that you'd show each of them their mission, that you'd show each of them how you want them to protect and provide, and that you'd show each of them the man you have made them to be in Jesus Christ. Thank you that through Christ Jesus, we are set free from our sin so that we can exercise self-control, so that we can walk in obedience to you. Thank you that your grace is upon us so even when we mess up and sometimes mess up big time, you forgive us and you heal us and restore us. Thank you that your spirit is inside of us to strengthen us, to give us supernatural strength to live as the men you've created us to be. We worship you and we praise you and we love you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.